another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of Mikula and Romania. The citation for this case is 2020 UKSC 5. And this case that we're looking at this week is all about state aid and arbitration around the time that Romania joined the European Union. Now, Romania only joined the EU in 2007, but their preparations for doing so had been ongoing for quite some time before that date. Thus, although an investment incentive scheme called EGO24 was adopted in April 1999, a couple of months later the country incorporated EU state aid rules into domestic law and modified EGO24 accordingly. I mention all this because the claimants in this particular case, the Mikula brothers, decided to invest in Romania, and in doing so relied on Ego24. That reliance should have been fine, because in 2002 there was a bilateral investment treaty between Romania and Sweden that protected such investments. Furthermore, it made disputes subject to arbitration under the International Convention on the Settlement of Investment Disputes between States and nationals of other states, which is fortunately for me abbreviated to ICSID. Anyway, as you can probably tell from the fact that we are discussing all of this years later in 2020, something did go wrong, and again it has to do with the accession of Romania to the European Union. As the date of accession neared closer, the EU told Romania that its EGO24 scheme was in fact contrary to state aid rules. In response to this, the government complied by repealing nearly all of the incentives, which smoothed the road towards accession, but left the Mikula brothers out in the cold. Per the Bilateral Investment Treaty, Mikula filed a request for arbitration under the ICSID, and in late 2013 the tribunal found against Romania and awarded Mikula more than £70 million in compensation. However, as Romania prepared to pay the compensation out, something quite unusual happened. The European Commission stepped in and issued an injunction that suspended the payment of the award until they had concluded their own investigation about whether said payment was itself a breach of EU state aid rules. That investigation was concluded in March 2015, and the Commission found that the £70 million would indeed breach state aid rules. The Mikula brothers had been so close to a payout, and now were being denied, but they didn't give up so easily. Instead, they tried to get the Commission's decision annulled on the basis that they were using their powers in relation to events that took place before Romania had even joined the EU. The General Court agreed that the decision should be annulled, and although this is currently being appealed to the Court of Justice of the European Union, the present proceedings before the English Court are slightly different. These began in 2014 when the Mikula brothers applied for the £70 million award to be registered under the Arbitration International Investment Disputes Act 1966. Even though that was successful, Romania tried to stay the enforcement until the Court of Justice proceedings were complete while Mikula applied for there to be some sort of security for the money that they were due under the award. After making its way through the hierarchy of the English court system, the case went to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick it up. The first thing that the justices had to deal with was the cross-appeal by Mikula against staying the enforcement of the award. 
After all, if the £70 million had to be paid, then the question of security became irrelevant. The arguments put forward by Mikula are multi-layered, but worth setting out in full. For a start, by the time that the Supreme Court handed down its judgment in this case, we knew that the EU's own general court had found against the Commission, so there would be no potential inconsistency in enforcing the award. Meanwhile, another important procedural point that was raised by Mikula was that under the ICSID and the Arbitration International Investment Disputes Act 1966, there isn't actually a power to order a stay of enforcement. Finally, under Article 351 of the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union, we know that pre-existing rights and obligations that derived from international conventions prior to accession to the EU are protected. In other words, the supremacy of EU law does not override the ICSID. On the first point, the justices noted that there is an important distinction to be made between the decision by the Commission that the pay award is a form of unlawful state aid, and the initial decision to investigate alongside the subsequent injunction. Thus, while the general court judgment annuls the decision in respect of state aid, it does not have the effect of ending the Commission's investigation or lifting the injunction, and so to that extent the UK courts are still obliged to cooperate with the EU. Moving on, and the justices turn to consider whether there is actually a power to stay the enforcement of the award. To answer this, it was first noted that once an award is made, it is not open to a domestic court to actually challenge the result itself, and so their power is fairly limited. In order to find out what they can and cannot do, it would be necessary to get a ruling from the International Court of Justice, but the Supreme Court decided that that would not be necessary in this case because granting a stay of enforcement in the present circumstances would not be consistent with the ICSID Convention and therefore would be to exceed the powers of the English courts. Finally, the justices turned to consider how pre-existing obligations under the ICSID relate to other obligations that arise out of EU law. We already know that Article 351 of the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union protects pre-existing obligations. It is with that in mind that the Supreme Court decided that the duty of the UK courts to cooperate with the European courts does not require the judges in this country to impose a stay of enforcement on the award. As a result of this, the stay was lifted and the second part of the case relating to the payment of security is no longer relevant. Overall, despite a lot of technical detail, this is quite a stark decision from the Supreme Court that deals a body blow to the European Commission in proceedings that have been dragging on for many years. That is not to say it is an incorrect decision, because it does feel like the Commission has overstepped its powers during this time. One thing that is constantly emphasised is the supremacy of EU law, but we don't often enough stop to think what the limits on that supremacy actually are. Article 351 of the TFEU points to the importance of pre-existing obligations, but in doing so it also gets to a wider point. In the realm of international law, EU law is just one part of a much broader tapestry. It is true that as a political and economic union, it is probably the most significant in the world, but that does not mean it can ride roughshod over everything else. That is essentially what we are getting at in this case. 
Furthermore, international arbitration is important to global commerce in its own right and deserves protection. Where disputes arise across borders, it is essential that there is not only a means for resolving them, but also decisions by arbitration panels are respected and enforced in all countries. If this fails to happen, then cooperation breaks down and the global economy is harmed. International law is all about achieving a balance, and that is what the Supreme Court is enforcing here. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. If you want to find out more about me, this podcast, or my YouTube channel, then you can find all of that information on my website at uklawweekly.com. I'll be back with another episode next week. In the meantime, remember to keep washing your hands, and I'll see you then. Bye!